Good morning, good morning. Does everyone like a good riddle? Yeah, I knew you did. That's why we're going to do one right now. I've got one for you this morning. What does Jesus, Noah, and your baptism have in common that will help you suffer well? What does Jesus, Noah, and baptism have in common that will help you suffer well? Don't answer that or you will not need the sermon. The answer is in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, and this text is absolutely a riddle. And that's why we're going to start out with a riddle. Commentary after commentary that I read said this is perhaps one of the most difficult texts in the New Testament. When I read that, I thought, man, why did I not assign this to our new pastor, Matt, or to our new pastor, Kevin? That would have been a brilliant move, but somehow that slipped by me, and I let myself uh, preach the hard one. So we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Let me read for you the text And we'll see uh, the riddle together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water." Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What did Peter have for dinner before he wrote this letter? Because that's the way I feel when I read it. I'm like, man, this is totally out of, out of nowhere, it seems like, but... After studying it, I actually think it's a great, very powerful text. It has a a powerful, helpful tool for us whenever we experience suffering and we're going through difficulties. And, And when I think about when you're going through difficulties and you're going through suffering, a lot of times it just captivates your heart. It captivates your mind and you become consumed with the negative and consumed with the difficulties of the situation. And it's... It's all-consuming, and what I think Peter is doing in this text is he says, when you go through suffering, I want you to, to know how to live. That's what he's been saying. I want you to live a certain way when you suffer as exiles in this strange world that we find ourselves living in. And to do that, last week Jake did a great job of saying how, we should, how Peter expects us to live, how the Lord wants us to live and maintain unity, maintain a good attitude, stay humble and loving and kind and gracious in the midst of persecution and suffering. How are you going to do that? Well, Peter's going to say, it's about your mind. Consider these things. I want you to consider Christ's suffering when you're in the midst of suffering. I want you to consider what Christ did in Noah's day when you're going through suffering. And I want you to consider your own baptism when you're going through suffering. And so we're going to look at this and see if what the Lord has for you to help you as you go through suffering. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Help us to be humble and respectful and gracious and loving and faithful witnesses in the face of increasingly difficult Opposition, persecution, suffering of trials. Teach us this morning how to suffer well 
for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, three considerations. Christ, Noah, and baptism. First, let's consider Christ. Look at verse 18 and 19. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So let's pause there and let's put verse 19 aside for a second and let's just consider Christ's sufferings and what impact that has on us as we are suffering. In verse 18, he says, first of all, that Christ suffered once for sins. What he's saying here is that his suffering was a unique, efficient, effective once for all suffering, that when he suffered, it settled the matter. And that's going to kind of be the emphasis that flows throughout this text, that Christ suffered once for all. He settled it, he accomplished it, he finished it. Romans 6.10, the death of Jesus that he died, he died to sin once for all. He took the death that you and I deserved. It's, he was our substitute, and his death was satisfied the wrath of God. His death was the atonement or the satisfaction that God demanded for our sin and our rebellion. So his suffering was once for all. Hebrews The writer of Hebrews talks about it. Going through the Old Testament sacrificial system, the writer of Hebrews says the great high priest would go in once a year and sacrifice the blood of an unblemished lamb, and that would atone for the sins of the people for that year, and then they would do it again year after year. But the great ultimate high priest Jesus, the God who took on flesh, He walked into that holy of holies and he sacrificed himself. He laid himself on the altar and it was once for all. It was done. That's why when he was on the cross, it is finished. He didn't have to get up year after year. He sat down on his throne having accomplished his mission. So he suffered once for sins. But also notice He was the righteous for the unrighteous. You know, in the verse prior to this, Peter said, he closed out that last passage with a statement that I wrestled with this week and almost kind of set it up as the whole point of this text, which he said, it's better to suffer for doing good than for suffering for doing evil if it's God's will. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's the exact opposite of what I think. I'm like, if I do bad, then I expect I should probably suffer a little. But if I do good, I shouldn't suffer. And he says, no, it is better for you to suffer for doing good if it's God's will. Christ is the righteous one, the holy one, the God of the universe, the, 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 the perfect, sinless lamb of God. He suffered Not for his own sin, because he's righteous. He had no sin, but for the unrighteous. That's me. He suffered for me, the unrighteous. He suffered for you, the unrighteous. It was injustice at the extreme level. The ultimate injustice was done. 
the righteous, sinless Lamb of God, God in flesh, was crucified on the cross for something he didn't do. For something that I did and you did. Or more accurately, not just for what we did, but because of who we are. Rebellious, sinners, unrighteous. And the righteous paid the once-for-all price for me and for you if you'll receive that gift. So as you suffer, consider that. As you suffer unjust treatment, as you suffer something that you didn't deserve, something that you didn't do, for doing good you suffer. It's good you're following after your Savior's suffering. The righteous for the unrighteous. And why did he do that? Why did the righteous, holy Son of God suffer an unrighteous death sacrifice on the cross? He did it to bring you to God. He did it to bring me to God. So that an unrighteous person could be in the presence of a holy God. And when he looks at me, and figuratively or metaphorically speaking, and he looks at me on the day of judgment, he says, Now why would I let you into my holy place and be in my holy presence when you are an unholy person? I've only got one answer, and this is the only answer that works for any of us, is because of Jesus. Because you're giving me credit for his righteousness. I've been given victory over my sin. I've been atoned for. I've been cleansed by the righteous blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the gospel. So what Peter is saying is, as you suffer and your mind is trying to be captivated by the pain, by the confusion, by the suffering, by the sorrow, he says, whoa, 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 wait. Think about Jesus. Think about the gospel. Think about Christ's suffering. Consider that for a minute. Let that captivate your heart. Let that captivate your mind. That Christ, the righteous one, suffered even unto death for you. But Peter doesn't stop there. In verse 18, he continues. But Jesus was made alive in the Spirit. He didn't just die for you. That would just be a a nice sentimental act of another person who martyred and gave his life for a cause and died for the cause. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus was made alive in the Spirit. The fleshly, physical death on the cross, but then he rose victoriously in the Spirit. He's saying that Jesus rose from the grave, he was victorious. His resurrection changed everything because it means he was who he said he was, the Son of God. He did exactly what he said he would do. After three days, I would rise from the grave. All of his promises are true. All of his statements are true. You can trust him. He is victorious. And the resurrection secures that beautiful claim. So as you suffer, think about that. Christ rose victoriously. He suffered an injustice death, but through that suffering came the resurrection. 
And then Peter doesn't stop there. And if you know the, the Gospels and you know the story of what happened next, and you think about Acts and the day of Pentecost, but then what did Jesus do after his resurrection? He went up to the ascension, his ascension. He rose and went up to be at the right hand of the Father. This is the ultimate authoritative, victorious enthronement. He sat at the strong right hand of God Almighty. He sat down on his throne, victorious over death, victorious over sin, having settled it once and for all. But Peter told me something I didn't realize in this text. You know what he did as he ascended to the Father. He we, we know this is what he's talking about because look down at verse 22. He's talking about that ascension. He said, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels and authorities and powers having subjected them, having taken all the angels and authorities and powers and put them under his feet. He says, you know what he did when he did that? He proclaimed to the spirits in prison. You have been defeated. That's what this text is telling us. That when Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father in that ultimate act of power and authority, he looked at the demons, he looked at the spirits, he looked at Satan, and he says, in your face. How do we know that's what it is? Well, the spirits that he says, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. The spirits almost always refers to angelic beings beings and fallen angels. And here we see, if you go to, in verse 22, I mentioned that he's already said he went up to heaven. So he's talking about the ascension. But go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And we see a very parallel paragraph that 2 Peter 2, 4 through 9 is to our text of, of 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. This was very helpful in my study to see that Peter's basically saying the same thing both times. He's following the same chronology and making the same point. In 2 Peter 2, 4, he says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until a judgment. He imprisoned the angels who sinned against God. He imprisoned the demons. So we know Peter's got this on his mind as he writes, that these imprisoned spirits were the ones who rebelled against God, the enemies of God, that when he went up to the, to, to the right hand of the Father... He proclaimed to the spirits imprisoned, you lose. Peter Davids in his commentary says this passage, quote, this passage in 1 Peter refers to a proclamation of judgment by the resurrected Christ to the imprisoned spirits, that is the fallen angels, sealing their doom as he triumphed triumphed over sin and death and hell. Redeeming human beings. So this is a scene of incredible victory and authority and sealing the doom of the the angels who are the enemies of God, the demons. And those are the very same powers that are currently working to oppose and persecute the people who are following Christ, the church. 
And so Peter says, as you are suffering, as you are facing opposition, and increasingly so in our culture, as you suffer injustice because of your faith in Christ, I want you to think about something. Think about Christ and his sufferings. But think about this. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the power seat of God. And he proclaimed his victory over Satan and the demons. And he's got them on a chain. So as you suffer, don't sit there and wonder if God is in control. He's absolutely in control. Jesus is victorious. So if you're lonely at school because you've made some tough choices, I'll never forget the experience I had in sixth grade at Riverside Elementary School. We're all running out to go to P.E. And on the way, we did our thing as a crew. We'd go to the bathroom, waste some time, then go out to the field and do recess. Well, as I went, the, the crew that I ran with in sixth grade, we were cool. There's no doubt about it. Don't you doubt it for a minute. We were the cool crew, went in the bathroom, some dude climbed up and grabbed a jar off the top of the heater that was suspended in the room, opened it and started passing it around, and when it got to me, I didn't know what it was, I said, no, we're good, and I passed it around. Well, it was a jar of Jack Daniels in sixth grade. So obviously that got out as they went out into the field and started acting like fools, and the smell traveled down the wing, and they all got suspended. And so overnight, one decision that I didn't even know was coming, I went from being in the crowd to, I'm out. And it's hard. So if you're lonely because you have made a stand for Christ, and you're suffering an unjust treatment, whether it be at school or be at work or in your family, people are turning their backs on you because of Jesus Peter is saying, listen, Christ suffered the righteous one for your unrighteousness. But he triumphant over that. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he has defeated the demons that are leading this culture to an evil pathway. Jesus has them on a chain. And he says, think about that. Consider Christ. Next, he says, consider Noah. It's kind of a continuation of the thought process in verse 20. He says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, he waited. In which a few, that is eight persons, Noah and his family, were brought safely through water. What is Peter doing? He's going from Christ's sufferings and the demons and his preaching to them. And then he goes to this time frame of the ancient world of Noah. And that's exactly what he does in 2 Peter, our parallel passage. 2 Peter 2, verse 5 and verse 9. In verse 5, right after saying that he, if he didn't spare the angels who he committed to chains. And then he says in verse 5... In 2 Peter 2, 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, going again to Noah's day, but he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought 
a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And then look at verse 9. He says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So what he's saying to you when he refers to Noah is, God is long-suffering and patient with their, with their persecution and with their blasphemy and with their evil and wicked acts. He knows how to deliver you from your suffering. And he also knows how to hold them on a chain until their day of judgment comes. In chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 5, about Noah's day, here's how it's described. You talk about a culture in which a small group of believers were suffering. We ain't seen nothing yet. He says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And there's Noah's little family of eight trying to live righteously, trying to herald the good news of the Lord, offering salvation from the coming judgment if you will trust in his promised provision of the ark, you will be saved. And they laughed, and they mocked, and they persecuted. And that's what it's like to a small extent today. But then what did God do? God sent the flood. God sent the judgment waters. It was the judgment. The floods were two things simultaneously. The flood waters were the judgment of the wicked, but at the same time, it's the salvation of the righteous. And that's a key to understand what Peter's doing. He's saying, remember in Noah's day that God patiently waited for them to repent. He patiently endured their blasphemy and their evil deeds. And he waited and he waited until finally he said, it's time. And he sent the waters in judgment. And what happened to all the wicked people? They drowned. They died in the waters. But those who trusted in God's provision of the ark were saved through the waters. So God was patient. He knows how to deal with people who are, who, are, who are persecuting his people. And he says, just hang in there. I've got them on a chain, and I know how to deliver my people from suffering. And so God punished them. And that punishment was also the salvation of his people. So the point is clear. God knows what's going on in our society. God knows what's going on in, in our culture. God knows what's going on in your life. And guess what? God knows how to deal with it. God's got a chain on the wicked forces that are behind it all. And God is patient and long-suffering and calling them to repentance. And as he waits, you're suffering, and he knows it. But you know what? God knows how to deliver his people. Don't ever doubt it for a second.
So as you suffer, consider Noah and remember, okay, Lord knows how to rescue his people. The Lord knows how to deal with his enemies. Jesus is victorious. So consider Christ. He's victorious. Consider Noah. He's victorious. Finally, I think it's like Peter looked at his listeners in the church and he remembers, I just baptized a lot of you guys. And when I baptized you, what, what happened in the baptism? I took you and I submerged you underwater and then I lifted you up and I said, buried with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life. And everyone cheered about the victory of the resurrection. And he says, when you suffer, remember that. Remember your baptism. This baptism, verse 21, he says, which corresponds to all of this that I've been talking about. Corresponds to the righteous one dying for the unrighteous one. But he didn't stay dead. He resurrected and he resurrected in power and victory. He says that's what baptism corresponds to this. And that's why this now saves you. Not that the water saves you. It's not like it's some removal of dirt from the body. But it is a public profession of your appeal to the, to the good, to have a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You banked on Christ and his resurrection. That's what your baptism was all about. Christ, who is ascended at the right hand of the Father and is victorious over the angels, authorities, and powers, having subjected them, do you remember your baptism? So Peter's connecting with something in their own life, saying when you got baptized, you were publicly professing that Christ is victorious over all suffering and death and evil. So think about that when you suffer. And that's what we, it's a great timing. We just, Kevin just taught eight to ten people in our baptism class about the meaning of baptism. So what exactly are we saying baptism is? It's a picture. This, the, this submersion underwater is a beautiful picture of what we just learned about Noah's day. What happened in Noah's day? The water was both a symbol of death of the wicked and salvation of the righteous. And so we're symbolizing that. We're saying, I deserve to die because of my sin and my unrighteousness. But because I am united with Christ by faith, I am united with Christ's death. And so when Christ raises up from the grave, I'm united with him by faith. I am raised up from the grave. I ride that ark up out of the water. I'm victorious over sin, victorious over death because of Christ. Paul talks about this in his writings as we are united with Christ. We are in Christ. We are one with Christ. And so he talks about it. And in 1 Corinthians 10, he talks another similar baptism analogy. He says when Pharaoh's troops were chasing Israel out of Egypt and Moses was leading them. And they went to the Red Sea and they're crossing the Red Sea. You remember what happened in the Red Sea? Just as God delivered Israel out of the waters, and the waters came crashing down the waters of judgment on the enemies of God's people. 
What does Paul say about that? He says, they all passed through the seas and all were baptized. And so the baptism analogy is God's people are delivered through the suffering, through the death, through the judgment of God, by being united with Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, raised to walk in the newness of life. And so he says, when you suffer, remember this. Remember your baptism corresponds with this. Paul writes in Romans 6, 3 through 5, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? That we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him by our faith, we're united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a victorious resurrection like his. So he's saying, look, Christ was victorious. He suffered and he was victorious over all the evil spiritual forces. And he proclaimed it. And he stuck a finger in their face and sealed their doom. And then he says, and think about what happened in Noah's day. The waters of judgment came and God delivered them out of those waters. And now he's saying, think about you. You share in the victory. By faith in Christ. You've united with the ark of salvation. You've been delivered through the waters. You've been victorious. And when he rose, you rose. And when he ascended, you ascended. And when he stuck his finger in the demon's face, you stuck your finger in the demon's face. And when he said, never to die again, you will never die again. And so as you suffer, don't get dragged down into the miry pit. Stay confident. Stay strong. I know it's not easy, but meditate on these truths. Contemplate the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Feel the Lord, the Spirit of God. Lift your spirits. You already know you win. So how does this affect us when we suffer? Well, I think about a great football team. If you're watching a great football team and you know these guys, they just win it every year. I'm not even going to say a team's name because I won't speak that name in this church. <laughs> but think of a team that's very confident, and they go through a little difficulties in a game, and you're like, oh, maybe they're going to take them down. And they're like, nah, we got this. They don't turn on each other. They stay unified as a team. They stay supporting each other. They don't let the other team get under their skin in a panic and insecurity where they start to do dumb things and get dumb penalties and it just starts a downward spiral. No, what do they do? They're confident. They're secure. They don't panic. They stay calm. They stay united as a brotherhood. That's what Peter's been telling us. Remember what his words were to us. Support the unity of the brotherhood. Love one another. Stay together. Stay strong. Be gentle in the way you respond. Don't panic. Don't act from a place of insecurity. Know this. You win. So respond with grace. With love. 
Bless those who are cursing you. You got this. Christ has already destroyed the enemy. You've already been victorious in Christ. You don't have to panic. Stay calm. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep being faithful. Keep living according to the hope that you know is yours in Christ. I think that's what Peter is saying to us today. And I pray that the Spirit of God will help us contemplate on these gospel truths so that we can be different in our culture when we suffer. Lord, I pray for your help this morning for our church. Help us to have a confident, steadfast assurance that comes from the gospel, comes from our living hope, Jesus Christ, who suffered for us a terrible injustice, the ultimate injustice, but he did it to defeat the enemy and those who want to persecute your people. He defeated them once and for all. It's settled. But you, in your perfect wisdom and plan, you know how to keep your enemies restrained. You know how to patiently endure their persecution. And you know how to deliver your people from their trials. And so we can stand calm and confident in your salvation. And it gives us the grace we need to be humble, be kind, to be gracious, to bless those who persecute us, to share the gospel freely, and to trust you that you'll deliver us in due time. We pray all this brings great glory to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.